You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in, one and all. It's Friday, July 7th here on the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Borgannoni, and I'm joined, as always, by Matthew. Let's win it every week, Betts. You know what? What is this best ball thing? Like, we're, we're done with that. That was so, you know, 2022, 2021, 2020. Let's talk about some weekly winners today, huh, man? I know you've been in the weekly winner streets. I'll be honest. I haven't had much time to sit down and actually do many of these. I did one. It was very interesting. It was fun. It was a, a new format. And we're still trying to wrap our heads around it. But I'm excited to talk about that today because I was hoping you, Kyle, could just give me and the listeners the key to winning this whole thing because... That's what we're here for, right? 20K to first? Let's do this thing. It takes what we love about DFS in season. If you listen with us when we start back, you know, in September, we get tons of slates. We get to talk about a GPP mindset. And then we get to mix that with the best ball. And then even the best part bets, we get to mix it with academic research that I've been reading in PDF format for the last couple of days. <laughs> so so here's the thing. I've been doing actual work, <laughs> trying to get ready. I'm doing this huge research project for... Uh, the jointhefoot.com community for the Foot Clan doing a two-part series for July, looking at how players perform when they're on the injury report. You know, if they're questionable, if they're removed from the injury report, what injuries matter? How does it affect their fantasy performance? And Kyle over here has so much free time that <laughs> he is reading academic, you know, books in PDF. So, Kyle, I am begging you this summer, please go outside. You know, you tweeted that. And it got a pretty good response from people just just to think that I'm just locked up. You know, I've been I've been mowing the grass. Okay, so I've been touching grass like I need to. Pressure washing. My wife's been doing that. Um, we've been we've been getting stuff done around the house, man. So don't 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 give me this. That I don't go outside. I played in a pickleball tournament uh, with actually one of our fellow writers, AJ Passman, one of our uh, and you fantasy well, football. You won, right? We won a tournament. We did pretty no pretty well together. Yeah, so you know, I've been, I've been outside, but in the back of my mind, for the Foot Clan, I've been doing this too. I've been trying to theorize about this new, this new game with underdogs. So we'll talk about that in just a second. 
If you want to get all of our rankings, you can get them at ultimatedraftkit.com, our best ball rankings or best ball primer. I am going through right now each team in our best ball primer and updating where my exposures are at to make sure that the Foot Clan get the players they need to get. Like, I don't know. Hopefully you have a lot of Chigakonkwo at this point. If you don't, uh, I'm surprised his ADP hasn't risen that much. Like he's just sitting there tight in 12, tight in, tight in 13. But I, I love seeing people's rosters and exposures that reflect our rankings. And so we're going to keep those updated all throughout the rest of the summer. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's a labor of love for us. And also a top 300 list kind of doesn't give, doesn't do justice to where Betts and I have certain players because one, a top 200 list just or 300 list averages where we have them ranked. But then when you go position by position, there are some players that are in different orders. Like Josh Jacobs is behind Derrick Henry on our top 300 list, but he's technically ahead of him in our running backs just based on our averages. So I don't know. Can you tell people just how to use the rankings best? Because we're not saying they're gospel. We're just saying, here's where we want you to get certain players. Yeah, for sure. So the rankings, I think the best way to use them is to identify big stands that Kyle and I have, whether it's well ahead or well behind ADP. And that's who we want you guys to take. Like, that's who we're taking. That's who we're bullish on. You know, whether it fits uh, a certain team that we love, whether it's a player archetype, whether it's regression, whatever the case may be, players we're on or we're, we're fading. And it doesn't mean that if we're on a player that you should take them where we have them ranked. Like, if we have a player ranked you know, 60th overall in our consensus, but they have an ADP of 78, well, you should wait and try to get them in the same round, you know, that they fall to because ADP is so important. So I use them that way to try to identify my my stances, my takes, and kind of how uh, we want to be drafting. At the same time, you need to understand your roster construction, right? You can't just say like, here's the top 300 list. You know, I started out the gate with six wide receivers. There's another one. I, I'm going to pass on this running back because this guy's ranked higher. Like at some point, you have to take a running back, right? So understand roster construction, what your team needs, and then the final thing with that is, you know, we have a couple guys ranked very close together. You already have their quarterback. You might as well stack them, right? Because you know that's very important. So using those kind of tiebreakers along the way is how I would do that. I think just plugging them in and saying like, here's how we how we draft one to three hundred or one to you know two hundred or whatever is probably not going to be super profitable. There's a little bit of nuance to it, which is why we have the primer to complement the rankings. Also, when you start to look at players, it's like so many of them are just a plain coin flip. I mean, that's okay. Like, it's okay, especially if you have a portfolio of, you know, I'm playing in all these different contests. It's okay to have more Garrett Wilson than Amon Ra, but they're going to be right next to each other, and that's totally okay. Like, you can you can take those two players. So keep that in mind when you're looking at our rankings, when you're using the app, uh, Ultimate Draft Kit Plus, you can do all that, ultimatedraftkit.com. But we're going to start off today's show, so we're going to talk about our best ball league winners, which I'm calling, this was a tough way to title this because we're talking about weekly winners and we're talking about league winners on the same show. So I've kind of been referring to them as champions just to di- differentiate the two subjects. I like it. it. Does that I also work? like that is this it? is a very positive show. Lots of winning today on the show, Kyle, so I'm here for it. Yeah, you remember last week we talked about mistakes and traps and, you know, it's a trap. And people like that drop, but we're going to be a little bit more positive today. So let's let's talk weekly winners. We're going to win. We're going to win. <laughs> Had to find a place for that drop, and this was the perfect place to do it. 
because Betts and I will be discussing weekly winners, which is a new format on Underdog, where we're taking the concepts of best ball, which we've been talking about all summer. We have tons of content on our site and mixing that with a DFS mindset. So you've probably seen this in your feed. You've probably hopped in a couple of weekly winners tournament. It's a $15 entry. And Betts and I are going to talk about what we theorize so far as kind of the best strategy. But to be honest, and this is just a huge point, no one knows what they're doing. Okay. And no one knows what they're doing because we've never actually done this before. We've done best ball, we've done DFS, and we've done maybe similar contests. But it's it's interesting when you get a new contest and you kind of get people sharing strategies. Like, we're not sure. We can't look at last year's data. We can't just copy and paste what someone else did. So it's fun. It's a fun thought process and experience. We'll, experiment. So we'll talk about that. But let's talk about the format in general. And the best way I know how to explain it is it's best ball, but every week it's basically like a millimaker. maker, you know, like that style. Cause there's 261,000 entries and only 3% caches. So how does that change bets? Like using our GPP mindset that we talk about all the time with DFS, like how does that change how we structure our lineups and just how we go into this? Yeah. I mean, just under 3% getting paid out on a weekly basis. And, you know, you've got a, a one in 17 chance every week to cash in theory. Now, of course, that's going to be lower because you're going to have injuries to your roster and you can't change that or, you know, you don't have the right game that goes off or, or whatever it is, but you need to be playing for the absolute best case outcome, ceiling outcome every single time that you're playing. And so immediately thinking about that payout structure, I think about, you know, on a weekly basis, who are the teams that we generally are targeting? Who are the quarterbacks that we're generally targeting? And we want these absolute guys who have massive ceiling, you know, guys that we would play on DraftKings that can go for 30 to 40 points at quarterback, wide receivers that can go for, you know, 102. I'm not as into the conservative plays that we might be into to help us kind of get there in a season-long best ball format. You know, I'm trying to think of a couple examples along the way. Like Antonio Gibson, right, is a guy who I think is a pretty good season-long best ball pick like he'll give you some weeks he'll give you uh you know usable weeks with contingent upside but is antonio gibson really going to in a week ever give you 25 30 half ppr points on a washington team that has a win total at what seven or seven and a half or something probably not right like that's not the type of player i want i want someone like zach charbonnet where if kenneth walker gets injured he can give you 25 carries on the ground in a positive game script or something like that so that's just one example but I think we should be thinking critically about the player archetypes we're taking, uh, i.e. not Adam Thielen, and trying to shoot for the ceiling with these sort of contests where, you know, it's it's different when you're looking at a season-long outlook. Yeah, it's it's wild because I could make the case for Gibson having a top five performance based on pass catching alone, but I think Charbonnet is the better archetype. It's 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 so fun to me because in this format, I think we've gotten used to the overall here's how you structure your teams. And I think we just kind of have to throw out a lot of those. We're we're playing for one week. And I, and I think anybody can, if you go back through last year and just look at, okay, who are the types of players that have ceiling outcomes? Do you want to put those players in your lineup? We can talk about that, but I just love the chaos. Maybe that's, that's the way I want to say this. Like, because no one knows what they're doing, we kind of have this loop usually in fantasy football where, there's some type of game or format, DFS, best ball, redraft, dynasty, whatever. And people respond 
And then over time, people give feedback of this is what's better. This is what's better. And you kind of end up not perfecting the game, but we learned for a while, hey, late round quarterback's good. And then we learned like, oh, by the way, there's these elite quarterbacks that actually separate. So draft those guys. And there's kind of this constant loop of how we strategize. We don't know anything yet in this. And can I just give a little bit of my academic research bets? Just a little bit. I mean, listeners, just hit the fast forward button here. Like this is where, <laughs> this is where you want to fast forward thirty seconds. No, if you I'm just need kidding. Me go ahead. To forward some PDFs from you know academic research from Yale. That's where I was going on this. But basically, <laughs> there's a there's lots of different theories about game theory. There's a classical. There's the modern one. There's new game theory. It's really fun stuff. But basically, the premise is this: How do people respond in a game? In this instance, where we don't know what the other players are doing. Like you and I talk a lot in DFS that roster percentages are so important because when we put that out each week, we kind of like, hey, here's what I think the field's doing and here's how you can leverage this. I'm going to be honest. I think the field's just going to go all over the map. I think some people are going to tax this and say, you got to go for just one offense. Some people are going to say, just go for a week, just build for week one or build for week four. You know, Some people are going to say like, okay, well, let's just get the onesie positions and then get 13 wide receivers, which is totally cool. It looks really cool. I like that. I like that it's just all over the map. And so the way that we get to do it, Betts and I, and I think people in the industry is kind of perform what Einstein called get an experiment, aka thought experiments. Just how does this work? Let's do some thought experiments. And that's kind of what I've been doing the last couple of weeks with this. So I threw an Einstein on this podcast. Is, is, is this at another level now? You are such a nerd. <laughs> you are, as Betts would say, you are a sick sick individual. So let me break this down and we'll talk more about good offenses. Cause I think that's, I think that's where you and I are basically on board the same of like find an offense stack around them. And you're playing for one week. I'm not trying to get like, if you win this thing, you're not going to win it again. Probably another week. Like you just had one week, you had a crazy outcome. You're just playing for one time. But think about this when we're playing DFS and you have a player go off for 40 points, you are, you were like, I've got it. I've, I'm going to cash. I'm, I'm, I feel so great. So for instance, Garrett Wilson, let's say he goes for 40 points and you took him at the one, two turn over, I don't know, like Amon Ra or something. Let's just say you did that. Realize that he's rostered by over 21,000 other people in this contest. Okay. So in DFS, if you have somebody going off, you're like, Oh, what, what, what does the rest of the field have? Like you can bank on Garrett Wilson's going to be drafted in every single draft and 8.3% of the field already has them on their roster. So 40 points is like incredible. You know that's going to be in the in the lineup that you need. But only a third of those teams will actually cash. So it's wild. Like you can't just have a stack and think, oh, I had the Aaron Rodgers, Garrett Wilson stack. Because so much of the field is going to do that. So I don't know. That's kind of like upsetting when I started doing the math and I was like, oh man, if I had a player go off, it's like everybody's rostering this player. So yeah, does that kind that of like... Little, <laughs> it's a little bit of like, huh, that wasn't very helpful. But at the same time, you needed it, right? So it's it's challenging. And I think what you're saying, like every player that goes out, I mean, ballpark probably rounds one to 15 is drafted and, and you would say probably 100% of these drafts, right? These are still 12-man drafts and every one of those players is being taken. And I think, you know, this time of year, whether it's like, you know, May, June, early July, before we get to training camp, 
in typical best ball leagues, I'm usually thinking about, okay, in round 17, 18, I just want to make sure I'm not taking a complete zero here. You know, I'll I'll miss on Ty Chandler if it's uh, Dwayne McBride. I'm fine to sit this one out. But in training camp, if we get news it's Dwayne McBride and not Ty Chandler, I'm going to be fine chasing Dwayne McBride up into round 15, 16, right? Like that, that sort of example, when we know for sure what's happening in those kind of ambiguous situations, I feel like this, this is going to go on for, I don't know, what would you say? This contest will probably last a month, maybe a month and a half. I, I, hard to say, but you, you will need, I think, some uniqueness to your lineup, just like in DFS to actually hit, I mean, gosh, hopefully first, but top 10, top 20, it is so hard to do. So I am thinking about trying to take some unique players in this format who maybe aren't going to be taken otherwise thinking about, you know, round 16, 17, 18 picks. Yeah. I might've taken Jalen Guyton in round 18 over Josh Palmer, just because I don't know how many people are going to roster Jalen Guyton. I don't even know if he makes the roster. I was like, he's a fun player that's had some great deep bombs and more integrated the offense, but taking Quentin Johnson doesn't really help him. He's probably going to be mostly special teams. And his guaranteed salary is like $65,000. So he might not even make the team. But the reason I took him is because while Josh Palmer is kind of like a fringe, what would you say? Like a fringe round 18 kind of pick. Like he's like right there if people want to take him. Yeah. Guyton's not going to be drafted by anybody. So Right. And that's a good example. Not, yeah. It's probably not going to matter, right? Like he's probably off <laughs> yeah, the team. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Another one but, too is like if you're stacking up Eagles, just came to mind like you could throw Quez Watkins on there and you hope oh, that am. there's a week. Oh, I'm doing that. That there's a week where maybe uh Tomata Smith is out or just maybe the stack you needed was Hurts, AJ Brown and Quez Watkins, you know, and and granted Quez Watkins is giving you a zero probably 16 weeks this year, <laughs> right? Reality. But in this format where like you're playing for one week and you're playing for I want to hit first, finish top 10 one time and then like my season is made for me. Those are the swings you have to make. And as Kyle said, under 3%, just under 3% each week get paid out. So it's hard to even get paid in this contest, let alone get paid multiple weeks. So I do think you want to be taking your shots where you can. Quez Watkins was a really weird way of saying Olamide Zacchaeus. <laughs> you know what? This is the part of the show where we just get to pick our most, our favorite randos that, that will be out there. Probably getting in a little bit of cardio. Maybe a chosen Anderson week here or there, Kyle. Yes. Maybe Terrace Marshall. I mean, come on. This is this is where it happens. It, so it's kind of fun. And then my next point I want to bring up is I think roster construction-wise, we just need to throw out a lot of what we've been teaching. And that's okay. Like, it's totally okay. I think a lot if the field approaches this as normal best ball, then you have a leg up. Okay? So, like, I don't care how many tight ends you have. I don't care how many quarterbacks you have. I probably care how many wide receivers you have. Like in this format, I'm going to probably be leaning into like nine or more. Um, I'm, I've seen rosters up to 13, which is totally fine by me. But I'm going to lean into wide receivers even more because we know they're more volatile. And if I have an elite quarterback or an elite tight end, I think a lot of people will be building this way as well. It's like, okay, if I have Josh Allen, why am I trying to take another quarterback? Like you can... If you want, if you get a good stacking option or somebody falls, but like I'm building around Josh Allen and I know that in his outcomes, top five is like where he stands a ton. So Josh Allen's probably a player that I'm going to be super bullish on compared to the field. And you're seeing that in the ADPs that the quarterbacks are being taken earlier, the elite ones, because people are building around those guys, the Hertz, Allen, Burrow, Jackson, they're all going earlier. 
do you feel the same way about tight end? Like, I have a team. I'm calling the bomb squad right now. And uh, let's just say that we started off pretty hot with uh, Josh Allen, Diggs, and Mark Andrews on that team. So I, I I feel like week one, I'm just, I'm going crazy. I love it. I love it. And that's a, is that a week 13 bye week stack? Yes. I just, uh, we can talk about bye weeks too, but it's like, who cares? I don't care about bye weeks. Well, I was going to say, like, I think that kind of might be advantageous because like normally you think about normal best ball. I don't think, and we have talked about that of like, I don't think it matters as much as maybe some people think, except for if you're taking two quarterbacks in a normal best ball league, hopefully they're different bye weeks because you want to avoid that zero. But like, you know, this format, it doesn't matter at all. Like Kyle said, like you are hoping that you have the right combination for one week. So yeah, if I have seven players in week 13, like I'm not going to win it in week 13 probably, but that's fine because I'll have more available shots to take, you know, more shots on goal in weeks, you know, one through 12 and then 14 to 17. So I think that that is a very viable strategy and one that's kind of counterintuitive, but for this, I think makes sense. And to speak to your point about the elite options, like We've talked a lot about this year, specifically with the landscape on underdog round 17, 18. There's a lot of very solid tight end targets there, which is what I like to do and to avoid those years right now in my lineup where we don't know what's going on with the backup running backs and the wide receiver threes and all that stuff until training camp starts. But if you take, you know, Mark Andrews or you take George Kittle or one of these elite options, I mean, most of the spike weeks at tight end come from these top seven, top eight type of guys. So I'm almost leaning into right now fading the late round tight ends because sure, Kate Otten's a great, you know, usable weeks guy, but what's his best game this year? Is it six catches for 34 yards and a touchdown? Hopefully, maybe like, yeah, sure, right? That's probably going to happen at some point, but is it going to happen on the same week where Travis Kelsey does his usual and goes for 20? It doesn't matter. So I think we just need to be mindful of kind of that aspect of it. So I love that as far as the elite tight end option, I'm going to be targeting them aggressively. Same with quarterbacks. I went back and looked at like who actually finishes in the top five and it's the guys we all know and love, right? It's Josh Allen. It's Pat Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, those archetypes. And to put some numbers to it last year, 68.7% of the time, Josh Allen was a top five quarterback. Pat Mahomes, 47%. Jalen Hurts, 66%. Joe Burrow, 38%. Justin Fields, 33%. So it's really hard for Derek Carr to be what you need in this tournament. It's really hard you know, for, for Brock Purdy to be what you need in this tournament. So I think that's right, even though the quarterbacks are getting pushed up. When you think about how we play DFS, Kyle and I are always, almost always trying to jam in a 7K plus quarterback on DraftKings because of the advantage that they give you. And I think that's right this year. Especially with the rushing quarterbacks, we want those ceiling outcomes you saw with Fields last year. It's hard to find those values now. So, you know, like you can make an argument that Daniel Jones will probably have a couple of spike weeks and I like him in this format. And I don't mind reaching a little bit on Daniel Jones if you miss out on the elite tier. But do you think if you do miss out, let's just say that like the draft you're in, people are taking all these dudes because they understand this. Are you then going the opposite direction and then saying, hey, like I'm going to throw in four quarterbacks, three or four quarterbacks to basically give me players that I think have insane outcome where we've seen Daniel Jones, uh, Russell Wilson had a couple of top five games at the end of the year. Like I want a couple of players like that because then that's going to give me unique roster construction compared to those teams that had to take early quarterback where I was taking, you know, running backs and wide receivers there. 
Yeah, like you said, that theory is great, right? It's like, oh, I'll just go in and target these elite quarterbacks. Well, so so is everyone else, right? So if your draft just doesn't fall the way that you want it to, I do think you probably do need to do that, right? Just have more shots that you get lucky and there's one or two weeks where those guys actually are a top five option. So I think that makes sense. And in those scenarios, I am being extremely, extremely diligent about uh, making sure that that game stack, which whichever week I'm targeting or whichever team I'm targeting, the stacks are there because if you're taking someone that isn't stacked, especially that can't run, Brock Purdy, Derek Carr, I just talked about him. I'm sorry to those players, <laughs> but but if that's the situation, you're not winning this thing in a week, right? So like you really do have to make that call if you do get you know pushed out of the elite quarterback options. Stacking good offenses is kind of what we're all about when it comes to DFS. Like I I want multiple pieces. Betts talks a lot about like there's lots of different ways to get correlation outside of just the quarterback wide receiver. Like you just want to get in on good offenses that have potential to score 30 points in a week. And that week it might be the running back and tight end or running back and wide receiver that end up being the ultimate scores that week. So don't feel bad if you don't get a quarterback and you get to say to yourself like, Hey, I'm just going to jump in on this offense, but you're playing against so many other people that also have that construction. So my brain hurts when I start to think like, okay, I've got the Allen dig stack and Mark Andrews. Like that sounds awesome. All three of those guys could be number one that week. And yet there's other people that could have those same exact players. And so the rest of my roster really matters a lot too. Any other advice you have about just stacking in general and maybe how you tweak a little bit from normal best ball? Yeah, I think one other thing that you can consider with stacking is looking at, you know, divisional matchups. Um, now there's a caveat, of course, there's a lot of divisional matchups in week 18, which is not part of this contest. The reason I bring that up is because, you know, teams are playing each other twice. So in theory, you have two shots to get, um, you know, a, a Buffalo and New England matchup. We know it's in week 17 because we <laughs> memorized the schedule, but they have another one right earlier in the year. So you get two game stacks when that when that happens. So I think stacking divisions make sense. Just be mindful of which ones are week 18. Those aren't quite as advantageous if you are stacking those teams. I also think too, we do this all the time on a weekly basis and the, the lines will move, but you can look at right now, which is crazy that, uh, the smart people out in Vegas, they have lines for every game that exists somehow from, from now until the end of the year. So, and those will move with injuries or weather or whatever, but it's a good baseline to see like, how does Vegas expect this team to perform? Oh, wow. This team has, you know, a massive, uh, team total in week. 14, for example, or, you know, whatever it is. So you can analyze those things. If you really want to go down and gain a little bit of extra EV, I think you can do that. You might drive yourself crazy. That's an option. And then I also just want to remind people like wide receiver spike weeks, they're coming from these elite options. When I think about DFS mindset, I think about kind of who I'm clicking the button on each week. And Kyle and I usually bring to the table a gross name that is 3,500 or 4k because in cash, you kind of need six points just to get there, right? You need that salary savings, but in this format there, there's no salary savings, right? It's just, it's just draft costs. So these guys who just don't have, I want to re reiterate that ceiling that aren't talented, great players are very unlikely to crack your lineup in this format. So I am, am leaning even more into these elite wide receiver options because we know the Justin Jefferson's, Jamar Chase's, um, you know, AJ Browns of the world can go for a 200 yard game and three touchdowns. That's not coming from anyone 
in week 15, week, or excuse me, round 15, round 16. That's just not going to happen. So I think uh, leaning into that even more in this format is something I want to do. Yeah, and I have cer- certain archetypes that I'm shooting for. One lineup that I showed bets because I got to show you got to show off your lineups, right? Was like oh, for sure. I had you the got to show off this lineup that's not going to cash at all. No, but but what could happen, Kyle? What could happen at this? I think I had like the TD or bus boys. It was like it was like Gabe Davis, Mike Williams, uh, Michael Gallup, like all the bros that are like, hey, those dudes could go for 150 and two, or or goose egg. And that's all I'm going for. It's like, so it's going to be a fun format. It's also going to be fun to think that people are stacking for certain weeks. Like their whole, their whole team is like, I'm going all in on week four. And by the time it's like week four, it's like, oh crap, the NFL looks so different. So should be a lot of fun. I'm ex- I'm excited to see, you know, different content. I'll say our rankings will not reflect weekly winner stuff in the app. Just it's a different formats because quarterbacks are pushed up. You're going to see lots of different crazy stuff. So our rankings are for season long formats. You can use them as a guide if you want, but uh, it's just, it's a different animal. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with our best ball champions. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, Bets. This is a pretty big deal because last year, we had some big hits on this segment, okay? This is where you revealed Ramondre Stevenson, some guy named Amon Ra. This is where I said, I'm going to draft Chris Olave and pound the table and have him as my highest exposure wide receiver. So the people are, I mean, if this segment doesn't live forever, then this is a failed podcast already. So do you feel the pressure? I feel a ton of pressure. And when I was putting my stuff into the show doc over the last two days, I was in, I was out. I changed my blind a couple guys because I want to get this right, man. I want to make sure our listeners have the guys you need, get the advance rates you need to get to the playoffs and just hope good things happen. But yeah, man, last year, tons of hits. That was a lot of fun. I hope that we can deliver (laughs) because that's a lot of pressure. Let's get after it. Best Ball Bonanza. So Betts and I will be going by each position, kind of explaining what we look for, just some criteria, and there's 
lots of different answers. Like for each position, we probably could have listed 10 different people, but we decided to give you just one that we're probably most bullish on and maybe ones that we would say, hey, this is reflected in our rankings. This is where we see things move. We hope these are good win rate players. We'll start with quarterbacks. Here's what I'm looking for, and I'll, and then I'll let you give your answer, bets. But I just need spike weeks. Like, give me give me spike weeks. Bets mentioned earlier. We kind of know where they're coming from, right? Where it's one thing to be able to piece together a lineup that has you know three quarterbacks, and you're relying on Jared Goff, Derek Carr, and Brock Purdy. But it's really hard to compete, and really, it's even tougher to compete when you get closer to the end because these other quarterbacks separate so much. So I wrote down I want at least three or four weeks of 25 plus points or seven top 10. And when you saw Josh Allen, you know, you said 68% of his games were top five. So that's why he's incredible. If you want to look at advance rate, which is a term we talk about a lot, just how often this player show up on a lineup that advanced in best ball mania. I want to see it above 20% at the end of the year in 2021, eight quarterbacks accomplished that last year. There were nine. So, you know, some of those guys were like Jalen Hurts, who was awesome, 34%, but his ADP was at 61. So it's a different conversation this year. Uh, we had Patrick Mahomes, Geno Smith, Justin Fields, who was my highest exposure quarterback last year, Tua, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, Jared Goff, and Joe Burrow. Those were the dudes last year. Uh, if you had Geno Smith, props to you because uh, only 969 people drafted him in Best Ball Mania. Um, so, Betts, I'll let you go first, and I'm pretty sure this is not a surprise to our listeners. Yes, if you've been with us all summer, if you've been in the best ball rankings in the primer, you know the answer to this question. And I will say, I wanted to come on, and I almost brought up Lamar Jackson, but we'll talk about him and the Ravens offense a little bit later on in the show. And when I look for it in a best ball winning quarterback, I look for spike weeks, and I look for someone who seems like an incredible bet to outperform ADP, meaning... I could see this player finishing three, five, or more spots higher than their ADP goes, meaning this player is a better pick than the guys going above them because he's going to give you more spike weeks, is Justin Herbert, who, I'm going to make the comp, what's the archetype difference right now, Kyle, between Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow? Because to me, it's nothing, and you're getting a two-round discount on Justin Herbert. I, I agree. I totally, totally agree. Like The ballers have brought that up multiple times on the main show, like, the only variance between those two this past year was really TD rate and, you know, dot and all those things. And those can easily fluctuate year to year. So, yeah, I, I, I get where you're going. Yeah. And to speak to that stuff, like fantasy football on a year long basis isn't that hard in the offseason when you can spot the most obvious regression candidates, meaning this player didn't perform to expectations or they way overperformed. We're going to see him come back down to earth a little bit. Remember, it was Debo Samuel a couple years ago. Betting on regression is something I want to do with Justin Herbert, who two years ago in 2021 had a 5.7 touchdown uh, rate. That is going to re regress back to his average after a 3.6% touchdown rate a year ago. If he comes in at 5, 5.5%, as he's done every other year of his pro career, he is almost certainly going to outperform this ADP and bring the guys with him, especially when you consider the fact that quietly, we're going to see a couple more rushing scores for Justin Herbert this year as well. Now, is he going to be Lamar Jackson? No, of course not. But can he give you three, four, five rushing scores on the ground? He can, because last year he gave you the same number as me and Kyle combined. Zero <laughs> on the ground. And to put some numbers to that, uh, 14 quarterbacks last year 
ran more than 50 times, 50-plus 50 rush attempts. Justin Herbert is the only guy who didn't score a touchdown on the ground among that group, and 12 out of 14 of those guys scored three-plus times. If he adds that and throws more touchdowns, there's almost no way Justin Herbert doesn't finish inside the top five at quarterback. He's coming off a year two years ago where he finishes the quarterback two, and we're drafting him at the almost exact same spot in terms of overall ADP, but at quarterback seven as opposed to quarterback two. Just an obvious bet on talent, bet on situation. You know, Kellen Moore comes in, increases the A dot. They're going to be up in pace. You've got the weapons. You've got an improved offensive line that should be healthy. I, I just, I can't stop clicking the button on Justin Herbert this year. I think he's going to be an incredible best ball pick. I mean, I'm ready to get hurt. I'm all about it in a, so many different ways. And yeah, I like thinking about these players in terms of opportunity cost and what you're getting at a discount compared to last year. And this year, I feel like you're getting cheaper Chargers options across the board, but the offense should should take a step forward. There's lots of different metrics you're pointing out. So Justin Herbert showing up a lot of, in mine, and I think he's probably the quarterback we've been most on this entire year in terms of a target. Like quarterbacks to take a stance on the article that you wrote, like he he's the dude. And I think overall, Ballers, Ballers brand as a whole is very high on Justin Herbert. I know Andy's just over the moon about him. For my pick, I looked at my exposures and I looked at who my guys are. And there's some cheaper guys that I that I thought about. Like Gino is showing up in a ton of my lineups because he's just cheap. And I always want to be stacking Seattle players because I think they're just great. You've heard me talk about Russ on this podcast. If you think I'm crazy, that's fine. I think he's too cheap. But when I come back to my exposures and I look at the elite quarterbacks, it still puzzles me why Josh Allen is the quarterback three in rankings. And in mine, he's quarterback one. He's basically going at the same exact spot as last year. So kind of the same argument Betts was making, but he's going lower among the quarterbacks. But here's what I love most about him. This is my angle for him. He is going to bring along so many other Bills options as great win rate players. Like you're not paying the same price for any of the other Buffalo options other than Diggs, right? So Gabe Davis last year was going what? Like third round at the end of this? Like he was just going way up. He's at 77 now. The running backs are basically around pick 100. Last year, Dawson Knox was a much more expensive pick. And yet Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox are way down there. Dawson Knox is at 179. And last year you were getting some steam with Isaiah McKenzie being the guy. And yet Khalil Shakir is way down there. You know, if you really wanted to get weird, like Deontay Hardy, Trent Sherfield, Josh Allen is going to bring multiple players with him. So if you want to stack him and you miss out on digs, I actually think it's my preferred strategy because it's so much cheaper to be able to do this. Like Josh Allen is falling in drafts where you can get them in the late third round and you're getting the spike weeks you want. I would consider him the QB one and yet he's not being drafted there and you're getting the rushing upside. So I'm not sure why Josh Allen is this low in weekly winners. He's the guy I'm going after because he's cheaper than the other guys. And I love stacking him with Gabe Davis. So yeah, Josh Allen, I, I, it feels like a square pick because we've seen this guy be number one, but the rankings and the consensus aren't reflecting that. So Josh Allen is the player that I've gone the most overweight. And when you look at the other two quarterbacks, Mahomes and Hertz, like they're really low in my exposure. Like I took Mahomes for the first time recently. It was in a 12 man league, but yeah, like I'm going to have way more Josh Allen than those other two. Do you feel the same? Yeah, I, 
so early on, if if you remember, you know, back in when was this? When, when did we start talking best ball, Kyle? Like April, like right yes. before the NFL draft, and right after we really got into it, we had a break. What were we doing the the award stuff and the betting previews? But back then, we were kind of like this round two quarterback doesn't feel right because it's so expensive. But since then, quarterbacks have actually started to fall a little bit into round three. And at the time, I wasn't in on Hertz, Allen, Mahomes in round two. But now, round three, Josh Allen, when you compare him to the wide receivers that go there because wide receivers get pushed up, I think Josh Allen is a great pick. I mean, you don't need us to tell you that, obviously. But when you consider the fact that now he's around three costs where he was round two, and I've seen him fall to the back of round three often, that to me is is where I'm willing to take the shot. So currently, my exposures do not have a ton of these guys, the elite options. I'll be aggressively trying to change that over the next month to balance it out. And like you said, it's so easy to throw on two stacking partners with him later in the draft. You can even include the running backs if you want, because if the bills roll, you know, if Josh Allen rolls, the bills roll, those guys are coming with. So obviously you're not going to hear me argue it at all. Like I said, the draft cost is coming down and is he a worse bet to finish his QB one than Pat Mahomes? No, he's a better bet, right? In my opinion. So with the rushing, I'm all about it. I think it's a great selection. For a weekly winner's format, would he be your QB1? He would, yes. Just because of looking at the last two years and how many spike weeks he gives you, uh, it's it's unmatched, truthfully. Yeah, I, I find myself in that format saying, like, give me Allen, give me Lamar Jackson, and then let me just build around these dudes. Because just with the rushing upside, like you're going to get insane spike weeks. Let's go to running back. This is where... Last year, Betts brought up Ramondre Stevenson that you guys, all the haters in the comments were just like, this guy's terrible. What are you talking about? Damien Harris is the real dude. And then Betts just stiff-armed everyone. It could have been even better. We were talking about regression candidates and Ramondre had, uh, I think it was like 19 carries inside the, the 10 and like scored twice or something. Like it was just like, it could have been even better. So here's what I'm looking for in a running back. I want sustained greatness, okay? I need to find somebody that's going to give me at least five RB1 weeks. Now, that's easy to say for like McCaffrey or Eckler. Like that, that's, so we're looking a little bit deeper here. But also, I'm looking for players that if I'm drafting them, I'm drafting as if I'm right, and potentially that the other elite running backs fail, right? Like you're not trying to wish evil on any player, but when you're drafting in best ball and you're not able to make any changes... You're drafting last year. I had Christian McCaffrey ahead of Jonathan Taylor. Christian McCaffrey was the number one player. And I was making a bet that Jonathan Taylor wouldn't return on costs. I did the same thing with Justin Jefferson last year. So that you're just making a bet on this. And sometimes you're wrong. So I'm also looking at an advance rate above 20%. There have been 30 running backs who did that over the last two years. Last year, Josh Jacobs was the advance rate pick. 46% of lineups with Josh Jacobs in the best ball mania advanced. Uh, some other big dudes last year, Tony Pollard, Miles Sanders, you know, after getting zero touchdowns the year before, like, okay, he re- he obviously was great. Jamal Williams was really good. Nick Chubb, Ramondre Stevenson, and Jarek McKinnon, which was actually Jason. Do you remember that last year Jason said he was his favorite round 18 pick? I do, actually. I remember that. Things are different this year, man. What is he now, round 12? Yeah, it's, it's the, the, that's why CEH. What if I told you, Betts? I'm going to I'm going to click it right now just so I can you know have some accountability and you guys can walk me off the ledge. What if I told you that CH is my highest rostered running back? <laughs> I would I would ask you to seek medical advice. 
Round but, eighteen. Let's what? I understand what's why on? you're why you're doing it. I think Jarek McKinnon currently is one of the easier fades based yes. off what he did last year on so few touches. He's a really scary investment this year. All right, so give me your running back champion, your your league winner for this year. No pressure. Yeah, I'm going to roll with with a guy again. We've kind of been patting the table on. I wanted to come in and get unique, but I kept coming back to the fact that I think right now this player's archetype and where he goes is one of the better picks in this range, com- comparing him to the wide receivers, comparing him to tight ends, and comparing him to the other running backs that go around him. And it's David Montgomery who goes from Chicago to Detroit, obviously to play alongside of Jameer Gibbs and I think this is a situation where I don't want to be in or out on one or the other I love both but I think when you think about opportunity cost Dave Montgomery is going 81st overall Jameer Gibbs is around three picks so I love both guys and I think that role is going to be so valuable but for this selection give me Dave Montgomery who on underdog half PPR formats touchdowns matter a ton and I think when you look up at the archetype Dave Montgomery bigger back he got the fifth most guaranteed money from any free agent running back going back to 2020. So they paid him to be a key part of the offense. They draft Jameer Gibbs, who is going to be great as a pass catcher, but he's 199 pounds. I don't think he's getting the goal line role as we saw last year with DeAndre Swift types. So if Dave Montgomery inherits that Jamal Williams role, which I think he will, he's going to be in line for eight, nine, 10 touchdowns. Will he have 17 <laughs> like Jamal Williams? No, but can he give you 10 touchdowns and give you spike weeks? I think he absolutely can. Just to put some numbers to it, Jamal Williams, 46 attempts inside the 10-yard line. Now, that was well above any other running back, so that's going to come down, I think. But can Dave Montgomery give you somewhere in the range of 25 to 30 carries inside the 10? I think it's possible for an offense that we like that's going to be pretty good. And when you think about the contingent upside, which that's the bet I like to make at running back, is this guy is going to be good, even as a standalone pick. But if Jameer Gibbs should go down for an extended period of time, Dave Montgomery has shown us he can catch the football. 34-plus catches in three straight years. Detroit targeted the running back position 21% of the time. That was 11th highest in the league last year. Jared Goff will check it down. And when you consider the options that are there on the depth chart, it's a rookie tight end and a bunch of random dudes. So I think the offense is going to flow through Amon Ra and these two running backs. So, man, Dave Montgomery, I think, can pay it off if, if Gibbs stays healthy. But if Gibbs goes down, he'd be ranked, I think, as a top-12 option weekly for most people so give me dave montgomery i can't stop clicking the button on underdog where he is perfect for that scoring system what's interesting about montgomery is i can have completely different feelings about him in dynasty where it's like okay uh i think i got a year and then i don't know if i want any part of him after this but this year the draft cost is is too good and you've seen him slowly move up right where he was like 28 so now he's at 24 so dave montgomery is a player that we have a ton of, and hopefully the Foot Clan does as well. I will mention Joe Mixon, and here's why. He's so cheap compared to the rest of that offense. And if we're betting on good offenses, and we're betting on a player, if he's the dude, I get it, there's still a a caveat with him, but he's going as running back 15 for a while. He was going at like running back 20 or even even way after that, you know, when, you know, we weren't sure about a situation. But if Joe Mixon, if if we didn't have any of this situation and you knew he was the guy, he should be going as a top 12 back, in my opinion. So at around pick 50, I love having builds that if I get an elite running back, let's say I went McCaffrey or Eckler, who are probably my preferred guys, then Joe Mixon is someone I feel great as an RB2, but I I love double tapping this region as well. Last year, you could say that 25% of his fantasy points came when he scored five touchdowns. You can look at that and say that's a bad thing. 
I could also flip that and say, that is freaking awesome. You just won that week in best ball because you have a player that's capable of doing that on offense we love. He had the fifth most expected points among running backs, the fifth most running back receptions, and now Samaje Piran's gone. And he had the second most carries in the league behind Jamal Williams inside the 10, and yet he only scored eight times there. Like, Joe Mixon is a player that actually looks like he could regress even closer than me with touchdowns on an offense we like. So I like grabbing a part of the Bengals offense, and I like that he's the cheapest of these. Where in the past, Joe Mixon, where would we be drafting him? Like round two? I think last year he was an early round two pick. Yeah, I, I feel like he's older. People are done with him. They think he's done. And I think he's just a solid pick at his ADP. So Joe Mixon showing up in a lot of my exposures. I want Bengals in my lineup, and he's he's the cheapest way to do it. So I think he's going to end up as a good win rate player because the guys behind him, like Travion's a fun player to talk about in Dynasty, but he's they've never trusted him to be on the field. Chase Brown's a rookie. Chris Evans is never going to be a thing. So it's it's Joe Mixon or bust for me in that offense. So do you feel similar? You can disagree. I don't care. I have a couple of things to add to the situation. Uh, just to put some numbers to it, Travion Williams has been in the league four years. He has 57 combined in four years opportunities, targets plus carries. So uh, they haven't done it yet. Why would they do it now, right? And last year, we all talked ourselves into Chris Evans. It was the incumbent veteran. So I'd be careful with Chase Brown. He's been a guy that's fallen, I think, for good reason. So we need to figure out the RB2 situation there because I agree that I think Joe Mixon is on the decline, but it's already baked into his ADP, right? Like he's not a guy that I think is explosive as he was two years ago, three years ago. And a lot of the advanced data from a rushing standpoint will show you that. But Samaje Piran got a ton of usage through the air and Joe Burrow historically has been very smart at checking down the ball when teams take away his best options with, you know, deep looks. If they're taking away the deep ball, to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, he's not afraid to check it down and pick up seven, eight yards and keep things going. He's a great quarterback at that and targeted the running back position at one of the highest rates in football. So even if Joe Mixon doesn't, in theory, get the third down roll, he's still going to get a ton of usage through the air. So I think he's a guy who is very safe for where he goes. But like you said, if you're buying into Cincy's offense, which clearly we want to do, he makes a ton of sense. And if you want to really shoot for week 17 and you stack up some Chiefs, why not throw Joe Mixon in there as a great bring back piece? I mean, he had the fifth. It, it's weird with Mixon because he was hurt and Pirine kind of took over a couple of games in the middle of the year. And then in the AFC championship game, it was Pirine who like outsnapped him by 20. But Joe Mixon had the fifth most running back reception in the league. So it's hard for me to look at other running backs going after him to, to, to say like, I want those on my team. We talked about before one of the traps is there's certain dead zones that you tend to find this year. Or I was I called it finding the right running back family, but like you go a little bit later and I just can't find the same touchdown upside for a player. Like if Joe Mixon had 15 total touchdowns this year, would that shock you? I think 15 might be hot. <laughs> but, okay. But possible, for sure. Possible, possible. What about 10? How would you feel about 10? I would not be shocked at all. I think that's the range that you can like look for. And that's that's what I'm hoping for. I'm not asking Joe Mixon to be a top 5 running back. But top 10, I think we wouldn't be shocked if he finishes there and he's not being drafted at all. So I will say, too, just to add to that, uh, be mindful. Keep keep your ear to kind of what's going on. I think since he is quietly one of these teams who could sign one of these free agent backs, I, I don't think they're in the Dalvin sweepstakes, but if Lenny all of a sudden shows up there or something, like no. not that Leonard Fred's good, but, but I think that 
it's possible. When you look at the backup running back situation, I think it's very possible. Hopefully they sign like, you know, Frank Gore off the retirement or something. <laughs> like just somebody who's just actually done and done. Oh man, Frank Gore, what a guy. All right, wide receivers. Got two more positions here. Here's what I'm looking for and bets you can kind of, you know, tailor this to how you want. Also, your pick is the most bets pick in the entire world, which is great. Um, I want somebody that's going to be a league winner that has a chance at double-digit touchdowns. I want them to be in an awesome offense and maybe be potentially later. Since wide receivers are being pushed up, it would be really easy for Bets and I to say, Garrett Wilson or CeeDee Lamb is a league winner this year. It's like, okay, it's it. yes, they're good. I want their offense to be top 10 in points per game, and I want them to have an elite advance rate above 22%. 15 wide receivers did this in 2021. 21 wide receivers did this last year. Uh, we had Tyreek, Amon Ra, Tyler Lockett, Jalen Waddle, Christian Kirk, and then some other players that I thought were super interesting on here. Uh, DK Metcalf, which I thought he would be a lot lower. Felt like it was a down year, but he was still good. Amari Cooper was a great pick last year. And your boy, Devonta Smith. Keep in mind with wide receivers, we need a ton of them. You don't get all of their points. Okay. I was going through the top wide receivers and seeing how many points on average they added to teams. And there are certain players based on their archetype or based on their construction of their lineup, like you only used like 70% of their points. And there's other players, bets, this is a crazy stat. Last year, Cooper Cup, he only played what, eight games, nine games? I think I it was. Remember. Nine, maybe. I think it was the week 10 injury. I can't remember when their bye week was. So yeah, eight or nine, something like that. Teams on average used 99.2% of Cooper Cup's points because he was, <laughs> he was that unreal. good. He was, he was that good. All right, give me your pick. Yeah, so before I get into my, my pick today, I, I did want to switch things up a little bit. Um, I do need to keep mentioning Deontay Johnson currently is one of my favorite picks on the board. He's not catching zero touchdowns and he's still priced as if that's the case. I will keep aggressively targeting him while he's still outside of the top 30 overall wide receivers, I think he should be going somewhere around wide receiver 24, 25, something like that. So keep drafting him until that happens. But I want to bring to the table, and this is the player I feel least confident out of my picks today, Tyler Lockett. Now he's going off the board as wide receiver 34, 64th uh, overall. Not a steep price, especially when you consider the fact that Tyler Lockett has been a top 15 wide receiver in five straight seasons with eight plus touchdowns, which we just talked about we're looking for in each of those years. Now, the age is a slight concern. Uh, we've done some talk about that on the Dynasty show. Like It happens with these older guys. But the peripheral stats are still telling us that Tyler Lockett is good. 1.89 yards per route run last year. 20.6 targets per route run. He was 13th in DVOA per football outsiders among wide receivers. And looking at some other metrics, he was number two in ESPN's open score, open rate, behind Deontay Johnson, which looks at how often a wide receiver is creating separation. And he was number five in target separation on player profiler. So I wanted to make sure that there was many data points that still said Tyler Lockett is good at the game. I found lots of them. And when we talk about good offense, we're buying into the Seahawks. And there's this you know, idea in the general public that they want to be aggressive and, and pound the rock. And they're just this old school offense. Last year, they were seventh in neutral pass rate. That was up from 21st the year prior. They made a massive change. Once Russell Wilson left and Geno Smith came in and they drafted a first round wide receiver. So I think that's going to continue to happen with Seattle. And this is not mutually exclusive. I don't dislike JSN. I don't dislike DK Metcalf, but I think about players who can beat their ADP and beat them by a lot. If Tyler Lockett finishes 
as wide receiver 17, wide receiver 20, wide receiver 24, and he's beating his ADP by 10 to 15 spots, he is going to be a valuable pick and give you spike weeks. He has given you more top five weeks over the last two years than DK Metcalf has, yet we keep getting a four or five round discount on these two players. So I just think for where he should be going and where he is going, he is an incredible value pick. So give me Tyler Lockett this year, stack him up with Geno, good things are going to happen. I almost just put Seattle wide receiver as my pick because I have a ton of exposure to all three. I have a lot of Geno Smith and I'm, I've come around to the fact that I totally fine with JSN. So it's like, I just, I want these players. They correlate, you know, if you, those that week 17 with the Steelers, I got a lot of Steelers too. So what could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong for any of these players? That game it's, is going to be, uh, you know, like one of these random like 14 to 3 games. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> Steelers football. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. No, Tyler Lockett, very pro Tyler Lockett. If if you've been listening to bets at all the last couple of years, Tyler Lockett has basically been his dudes. Him and McLaurin, I feel like I've been your two dudes. And now it's Amon Ra. So I'm glad that you get these wide receivers in. I'm going to give a pick that I think people are not going to like. Like when you saw this on the dock, how did you feel? truthfully I felt pretty good about it but it's only because I think you and I talk about this stuff all the time and because I I understand that there is an upside case to be made and I love when situations don't change that much but the player falls drastically where we're getting them last year so I love these discounts so I'm kind of in on this actually let's go against the grain what could go wrong for Kyle being a contrarian it's Gabe Davis people what Gabe Davis yes Gabe Davis right now is going as the wide receiver, 41, 78th overall. Okay, last year, it was a little different. He was going 44th overall at the end, but I was in drafts where the end of the third was just routine people stacking Josh Allen. So you're getting a massive difference, a full three-round difference. And I went back and looked at his year because I think as a whole, we were all disappointed because we, of what he thought he could be. His advance rate wasn't terrible. It was 18.7%. I gave the cutoff for wide receivers at 22%. So 18.7 is not terrible. He added 105.7 points to your best ball roster last year. Okay? It's not terrible. It's not great. But it's not behind a lot of other players who we look at and go, oh man, Devonta Smith, he added only 125 points. So Gabe Davis needs context because in best ball, he looks like he is just not going to ever be what we want him to be, a top 15 wide receiver. Last year, he finishes the wide receiver 27, only had 93 targets, but for 836 yards and seven touchdowns, okay? I care more about his draft cost this year and what we need for him to actually be a good win rate player. If Gabe Davis doesn't improve at all from last year, even has a slight reduction in production, he would actually be a very good advance rate player for going 78th overall and wide receiver 41. Based on our ballers consensus projections, like if you look in our rankings, we have him as the wide receiver 32. So he's kind of a value at this cost. He, do you know how old he is? It's wild to me. He's entering year four. I'm going to guess. Is he 25? He's 24.2 years old. Young pup. Wow. He's super, he's super young. He's entering a contract year. You can give all the narratives you want for that. But I still care about, does he do the things we care about for fantasy football? Does he get touchdowns? Does he get deep touchdowns? 
Yes, he had 12 receptions of 20-plus yards last year. He had five touchdowns of of that mark of 20-plus yards. That's what I care about. So Gabe Davis, I think, has his role changed at all in the offense, in your opinion? I don't think it has, and they really haven't brought anyone in to threaten his role as the perimeter wide receiver across from Steph Diggs. So I still project him to play 85-plus percent of the snaps this year and be out there in two wide receiver sets. Yeah, and they could add Hopkins. I get people are like, okay, well, this is what's going to happen. Right now, I don't have that information, and it seems like the way that they've spent their draft capital, they you know they used it with Dalton Kincaid in the slot. Gabe Davis is still going to be running outside, and I care about points added. I, I can't emphasize this enough. When I look at players, how many points are they going to add to my roster on average? And if Gabe Davis hits over 100 points, then he's exceeding his expectation of going 78th overall. And I think... Right now, I look at the other players that are going in that range, and it, it's fine. Like I, I think there's other players you can make a case for. Like Right ahead of him is some of the guys that we like for breakouts, like Jahan Dotson. Um, Jordan Addison's going ahead of him, Traylon Burks, George Pickens. But then you start going a little bit further, and it's like, other than Quentin Johnston and the Baltimore boys, you're about to hit the dead zone of Michael Thomas, Cortland Sutton, all the guys that Betts brought up as a trap last week. So... I'm trying to get my fourth wide receiver before pick 100. I have rosters where I feel completely fine if Gabe Davis has my wide receiver three and then I get one of the Baltimore boys or Gabe Davis is my wide receiver four. And I feel like I've got it. I got a team when I add up my points later and points added. It's like, okay, I think he can exceed expectation. And let's be honest. I hate the running backs that are going right there, right? Like I don't want Pacheco. I don't want Rashad White. I will take Dave Montgomery. So in that range, I feel like I'm getting like Gabe Davis or Dave Montgomery on every team. But if people don't like it, I don't get it. But in, I, I understand. But he's a touchdown scoring player on a site that needs touchdowns. So he had seven last year. If he gets seven again, that's a great that's a great pick, in my opinion. Yeah, especially when you can factor in, like you said, kind of where he goes. And I think understanding old concepts and applying them to this year's ADP landscape is something that's very helpful to do. Meaning, people have talked about the running back dead zone for a couple of years now, and it used to be these kind of round four, five, six running backs that got pushed up because of projectable volume. Well, because wide receivers on underdog are pushed up so far, the new running back dead zone are these classic, like, well, who's taking the carries from him? Like, who's taking carries from Isaiah Pacheco? Who's taking carries from James Conner, right? Like, those are the guys that are in there because they project for volume, and they're kind of in that, like, middle to back and RB2 range of ADP historically wide receivers that go there are better picks than the running back. So I think when you can factor that in, like you said, the names that go around there, I'm almost always clicking David Montgomery or uh, if, if sometimes if I get a Brown sack to Sean Watson, but otherwise it's a wide receiver and it's frequently our boys Dotson and Gabe Davis. So I think relative to last year and the expectation, he feels like a scary pick, but that's baked in. And remember a high ankle sprain last year, was early in the season. It was week two injury. And I've done a bunch of research on this showing like when guys come back from that injury earlier than three weeks, their rest of season outlook is hurt. And I think that was a major factor for a lot of Gabe Davis's year. I don't want to make excuses, but that was a factor. And so now healthy, you know, no real competition for playing time on the perimeter. Like you said, if he gives you six, seven, eight touchdowns, he's probably going to beat this ADP. Let's finish off with tight ends. I feel like our strategy is Maybe a little simple and clear for people like, yes, you want an elite guy because you look at Travis Kelsey, what he did last year. I've been out on Kelsey this year, 
Advance rates for tight end are also really hard because they're all kind of clumped together. There's so many people with, you know, three tight end sets where, you know, last year if you went Cole Komet, David Njoku, Evan Ingram, I don't know, like you had a really, really good team. And so it's kind of hard to find league winners because there's not many people that separate. So I think what Betts and I are looking for mostly, I don't look at advance rate as much. I look at players that can beat their ADP and other players around them look like bad picks. Like just like, like I haven't been taking a ton of Darren Waller this year because of what else is in that section. Um, and, you know, you just look at some TJ Hawkinson, another player we've just completely faded this year. I think he'll be fine. Like, like his, his points added will be pretty similar to a lot of other players, but it's what it costs you to take him. So your pick is probably who we felt strongest on from the very beginning. And hopefully the foot clan has a ton of this guy. Yeah, and it's not really a hot take, and I wanted to make sure that I brought guys to the table that I've been drafting a ton of, and right now this is my high exposure player, period. It is Mark Andrews, and I want to talk about the Ravens offense. I almost talked about Lamar Jackson for my quarterback. I've been getting a ton of, of him and Herbert, but when I miss out on Lamar or or Herbert or, or Josh Allen or whoever, like I'm taking Mark Andrews, and the Bucks are the you know under Todd Monken, who's the new OC, like when he was there, they were way up in pace and pass rate. Fourth, fourth, and 11 in pace. When Lamar Jackson has been a Baltimore Ravens starting quarterback, they never finished higher than 29th in pace. So if we get some regression of in the middle of that, let's say they're 15th, 16th, 17th in pace, we're going to get more play volume. I'm going to get more pass attempts from Lamar Jackson. So we've been talking about this offense for a while, buying into it, and we've been chasing. Is it Bateman? Is it Zay Flowers? Is it Odell? What if we look back at the end of the year and it's just Mark Andrews was the dude you needed? And I want to bet on that. I want to bet on a player who's been super efficient in his career, who's always had a red zone role that can give you touchdowns. And I want to point back to last year. Like, we remember the end of the year as this gross Ravens offense. Like, J.K. Dobbins was limping around out there. Lamar Jackson was hurt. Tyler Huntley wasn't great. Like, but when he was there, when Lamar Jackson was there, weeks one through six last year, he was producing as a top 12 wide receiver, averaging 16 half PPR points per game. For reference, that's just two points behind Travis Kelsey. If we're getting the same archetype of player who can do the same things as Kelsey a couple rounds later, I'm going to make that bet. And it's mostly a fade on, on Kelsey in round one to bet on Mark Andrews to be the tight end one. To speak to numbers to Kelsey, I don't think he's a bad player. I think he's great. I think there's no holes you can poke in him other than the fact that he is turning 34 years old. <laughs> Eventually, that will matter. But last year, 15.4 points per game on the year for Travis Kelsey was the second highest of his career at the age he's at. And per John Daigle of 4 for 4, only three tight ends have averaged more than 15 points per game since 2015. And only nine have done that since 2008. 2008 was the last time the, the guys going after tight end one, so tight ends 2 through 12 in ADP, that was the last time they averaged under nine points per game. So this year, the numbers say Kelsey probably will still finish as the tight end one. He might finish as the tight end two. He's going to be great. But the guys that go after him will perform better. And historically, Kelsey's numbers will come down, meaning he's less valuable in round one. These guys going after him are more valuable. And I think Mark Andrews is just going to be dominant this year if Lamar Jackson can stay healthy, if this Ravens offense is as good as we think it's going to be. I mean, round three... It's just a, such a great place to be able to get a tight end that you've seen be the tight end one before, right? In an offense that is only going to throw more. 
His target share is my only question. Like it was at 28% last year. And we previewed the AFC North on the main show on Thursday. That was my only question of looking at those three other receivers and does it go down to 25%. But what if just the offense passes as a whole, like whole more and it just doesn't really matter. Like if 28% and 25% end up being the same amount of total targets, who cares? Like, right. Like it's, it's right. That's only one metric I can look at. So Mark Andrews, yeah, he's showing up in mind. He was, he's in my top three. So I, I totally behind bets, totally behind this in a lot of different markets too, for Mark Andrews. Mine's Chig. Like, I mean, come on. It's always Chig. Chig, it's always been you, buddy. I mean, since the beginning of this off season, I've gotten to talk about Chig. I need to give context though. It's, it's hard when you get to see people talk about a player that you love a lot and then throw out stuff like, oh, he's going to break out this year. Well, what does that mean for a player to break out as a tight end? And I think for Chig being drafted at tight end 12, I'm not asking him to be top five at all. Like I actually, that would be really cool. I actually would not project that or give a very high possibility of him being top five. And at the end of the day, is top five even that great at a tight end position? If he finishes the tight end five, that's where Taysom Hill was. Like, it's like not, it's like, it's just, are you alive at the end of the year? And did you give enough, have enough spike weeks? Like, alive? <laughs> that's a, that's, that was my take for Aaron Rodgers last year. Like, Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback 13. So in Superflex leagues, it's like, oh, sweet. He was the best QB2 you could have had. But like, Aaron Rodgers was terrible last year. Terrible in best ball, terrible in every redraft league. He just stayed alive and just kept playing football games. So with Chig going as tight end 12 at 130th overall, I looked at what tight ends need in terms of their points added. If you are drafted in the top 60 tight ends or top 60 overall pick, top 60 tight ends, if you are on NFL <laughs> roster, no, if you're a top 60 pick as a tight end, you need to add on average 110 points. Okay. So, that's a, that's a lot. Like last year, there's only two players who did that, Kelsey and Andrews. And last year, TJ Hawkinson was right below that. But once you dip to the next tier of going between pick 60 and 130, which is where Chig is, he's at the very end of that tier, you only need to add 70 points on average. To give you context for that, Gerald Everett last year, do you remember what he did for best ball bets? I don't think it was very much. No, it was not. It was 71 points, but in a lot of people's three tight end builds, he was totally fine with what you needed. Cole Komet, he was one of the, my favorite late round tight ends last year. Do you remember what he did in best ball? Uh, he had a couple of really big weeks. I remember that, but outside of that, I don't think he did much. Yep. 71 points. He was going 127th overall, basically where Chig was, and he was at 20% advance rate, which is pretty good for a tight end. Tyler Conklin was right there too, 20% advance rate. With Chig... I think that his floor is about this, 70 added points to your roster. I think his ceiling is getting closer to 100 added points. The best part about Chig is you're probably going to have him on builds where he's part of a three tight end, so you're not having to say he's the only guy. It's like you're not going all in on Chig and saying, oh, okay, well, he's going to lead my roster and be a top five guy. Like I have rosters where it's like Fryermuth and Chig, or it's Chig and two other guys. And you can kind of cobble those two together. So that's kind of what I care about. I've talked a ton on the Dynasty show, ton on the main show about his athletic upside. I wrote an article about how do we identify breakout tight ends. Chig's the cover boy. So if you want to check that out, I give tons of metrics about yards after the catch, yards per route run, and 
why Chig kind of fits the model of the next kind of breakout tight end. So who knows? The Titans could be just terrible. But based on his athletic measurables and opportunity, I think he's a good pick at tight end 12. And now's the time where you tell me if you've been drafting Chig or if you're just a bad friend. <laughs> you're not going to hear me say negative things about Chig. I've been drafting him as well when I don't go elite tight end. And I've been I've been kind of leaning into the elite tight ends this year because they're they're cheaper than they usually are. So I want to buy into that. But when you look at like where he goes relative to other tight ends, thinking about like Evan Ingram as tight end eight after a career year when they bring in Calvin Ridley, I think I think uh, Evan Ingram should be drafted maybe two rounds later than he is right now. I think he's overvalued. David Njoku, love the upside case, love buying into the Browns offense. But when is it going to happen, right? Like, so there's holes you can poke there. Uh, we love Pat Fryermuth. Darren Waller is older, changing teams, didn't didn't uh, force any missed tackles last year, exactly zero. I'm concerned about that age situation. Uh, you know, and then Dalton Schultz is like 10 and 14. So you can see like guys that are going right after him don't have that much upside. Guys that are going two, three, four rounds above him have almost the same upside. So I I love him in that aspect of saying like, look, what can I get from this pick at 130 overall? Can I get that same thing? Do I have to spend uh, you know, eighth round pick on that? No, you can you can wait and get the same archetype later. So I love that. And to speak to the Titans, man, like Mike Vrabel always has this team performing. And if Ryan Tannehill stays healthy, he will start every single game this year. And he's a perfectly fine quarterback who's capable of getting the ball in his playmakers. So until they sign DeAndre Hopkins, man, I'm gonna keep drafting Chig. Thank you. Thank you. I needed to hear that. Like I feel like our friendship was on the line and <laughs> I you never really, you've never really given me an ultimatum about Amon Ra, and so Chig has, you know, kind of slowly become one of my favorite players in the league. It's only a year in. Now he could just break my heart. I get it, but I'll still, I'll still uh, love me some Chig. He's, a, he's a fun player. So those are our best ball league winners, our champions for this year. We'll have an article detailing that out soon. Bets, why don't you wish the people a lovely, happy weekend? I would love to, Kyle. Yeah, fun show, man. Hopefully these are the dudes that help you this year. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you're tuned in and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're back next week. Have a great weekend. Go outside. Touch some grass. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Embedding Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.